Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I have Heather Osby on, and I know that you all love when Heather is on this podcast. She's been on here a ton of times. We are talking about women's strength and conditioning. So if you are not familiar, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is a women's strength and conditioning program. A lot of people come into it after they complete the eight-week postpartum program because they are looking for solid strength and conditioning structure while still having like really efficient and effective workouts. It's so hard going back to a CrossFit gym or to a personal trainer and not feeling like they get you and get your body and what it needs right now. So we created this program to really help bridge that gap between you've recovered postpartum and now you are looking to build a lifetime of athleticism. We know that it is freaking confusing out there. And Mm -hmm. we've tried to really take a lot of complicated theories and approaches to strength and conditioning and make it easy and sustainable. And that's what the Practice Brave Fitness Program is. So Heather, thanks for being here. Stoked to have you. I'm always excited to be on the podcast. It's so fun. Yes. So like I said, Heather is the co-creator of this program. And we've seen so much growth within that community the last couple of years with what it's doing because people are staying committed to their exercise program. And we wanted to share five, what are we saying? Like five fundamentals of what we're doing that I think sets us apart from so many other programs and so much of what the fitness industry tells us, especially as it relates to being a woman pursuing consistent strength and conditioning. It's really confusing out there. It is really confusing. And I think what works for you when, well, a lot of things work for you when you're really young. Personally, I felt like when I was 22, I could do about anything and it worked great. And the older I've gotten, I found that to not necessarily be true. And I want to feel good in my body. And I feel like we've been testing a lot of different things with this program and on our own bodies. And we've been kind of researchers and we're finding what works for us, what it works for our clients and what kind of matches what the evidence also says, which is also nice when those things kind of come together. Right. And I love using you as an example, like mini case study, because you were somebody who kind of did all the things and like full send, full intensity, not a ton of structure behind your training. slightly washed up CrossFitter, but then dabbled in a lot of different things. Right. And so when we added structure to your training routine and life, what happened to your body? Oh my gosh. I so much better. So much better. I mean, I am so much stronger. I don't even didn't tell you today. I hit 200 pounds on my hip thrusts and probably could have done quite a bit more. Like I feel great. And it's not also the number that I'm hitting. Like I don't have pain today after that. And so, yeah, I get sore for sure. Everybody's going to get sore from time to time, but I'm finding myself less 
nagged by injuries. And I owe so much of that to progressively overloading. And also this is the worst, but slowing down. Like I was somebody that was like, I've got six reps to do. I'm going to do them as fast as I possibly can. And when you yelled at me to slow down a few years back, I was annoyed, but guess what? Time under tension, baby. It works. Might've been maybe right. It's okay to say it. It's okay. Yeah, no, you were right. You were, you were (laughs) for sure right. But that I think is the biggest thing is, you know, we were just talking with our practice brave members a few minutes ago about the longevity of, of training and not just these focusing on these like really short cycles, really short, whether it's a strength training cycle or, you know, a six week challenge or something, um, focusing on being able to move long-term because I sincerely hope that we're 75 years old and we're still lifting and, you know, coaching other 75 year old women how to do that. hundred percent, man. Imagine that. What, what kind yeah. of conversations we'll be having then? <laughs> oh my, I can just, I can just imagine. It'll be great. Wonderful. All right. So we outlined five strengthening, five strength and conditioning um, principles that we think are really important for women in particular to know. Um, again, we know the fitness community can be really confusing uh, with what are the things I need to focus on. So first up is lifting heavy for you. And we like this because I think everyone thinks that heavy must mean that 200 pound hip thrust or a 300 pound deadlift or squatting 300 pounds. I don't know, but it doesn't have to be a heavy, heavy load for it to still be an effective load. And it doesn't have to be as heavy as you used to lift for it to be heavy enough for the body that you are in right now. You are not supposed to maintain the same abilities and output throughout your lifetime. It will change depending on what your training looks like, depending on what your body is experiencing, and depending on what kind of season you're in and where your priorities lie. It's okay if you're not lifting as much as you used to. I lift literally like 100 pounds less on most of my lifts than what I was doing years ago. And it's not necessarily ability-wise. It's just like, my. I don't want to be on that structured of a program where I'm like lifting as heavy. I'd rather do a lot of other things. We're going to be touching on that. But that's a, an important sentiment that I think we see a lot of people struggle with. They compare themselves to what heavy is for others or what heavy is for what they used to do. Do you see that, Heather? Oh my gosh, all the time. And, you know, we, we deal with this quite a bit in pregnancy, right? Where women are having a heart, they struggle mentally, but there is, I think, a sense that like, well, I'm pregnant, but when you're not pregnant and you're not postpartum, and you still have that tendency to want to compare yourself to where you used to be. And man, like mm-hmm. I don't squat nearly as heavy as I did five or six years ago. And I feel great. I also, I squatted a weight that does really challenge me and my muscles are growing, right? I'm moving the, the weight. Well, there's some other markers of success, if you will, besides just load alone. Right. And like a certain number, a certain percent, like there's a quality of life element, yeah. but like life in the gym element, like life in your workout experience, I guess, like where we are zooming in a little bit to say like, how do I actually feel showing up for my workouts? Like you shouldn't go in with dread or feeling like, God, I should be doing more. Or I used to do this. Like you should be stoked to be there and feel really good and not have your worth and ability and how you feel be determined by a number. 
Like your yeah. movement, you'll still have the muscular benefits and um, the energetic benefits from moving a relatively heavy load for you without feeling like it's supposed to crush you because it's not. Yeah. So let's talk about what is a heavy load for someone though. Cause I feel like that can be really confusing, particularly if you are working out on your own or trying to set, like no one really knows what's heavy for you except you. And so you have to figure that out. So what are some tips that you have for like figuring out what is heavy? Yeah, I think it's, it's gradually moving up. It's like starting light and giving yourself a really, really high ceiling and doing that consistently over time. Like what a boring, boring thing to do. But if, you know, for example, you're doing four sets of six reps, heavy would be when you start to get to rep number four or five, and you think you have one more in the tank. That's when you know you're kind of reaching a ceiling, not the ceiling, but you're getting closer to it. And you can understand that's a really heavy weight for me. There's a lot of different apps that will calculate your one rep max based on how many reps you can do for five or you can do for 10. Um, That's like one simple Google away. Um, And I think it's just truly learning to be present in your body and how you feel each week is something we Heather and I just talked about with our members, but like what might be heavy for you last week might feel really good to this week or vice versa. And so you have to kind of like, I make a lot of adjustments to my weekly training. I think it's, it can be really hard. Again, when you're pursuing that lifetime of athleticism, I'm not talking about peaking and being on like a powerlifting cycle for a meet that you have in six months. This is not that scenario, but when you're really in this for just making gradual strength gains or maintenance through your lifetime, you have to understand that 75% of your one rep max might feel really easy one week. And then next week, that same number and that same number of reps might really suck. You may not have it in you. There might be a mental block, physical block. Maybe you slept, maybe you've been on vacation. We have so many natural deloads deloads built into our life that affect us mentally and physically. So again, heavy for you on that given day, for that given week, for that given season. Yeah. I think that's so so important to take into consideration because there are so many variables and our training should be challenging, but also enjoyable. Like Imagine that. I have three kids and a job and like a partridge in a pear tree, right? Like that hour that I get in my garage, now I have to share it with my husband, which is a whole other story, but I want to enjoy my time in there and not feel like crap about myself. And that's just really kind of trying to make that adjustment, you know, heavy for me today, which might be different than heavier for me next week. 100%. All right. So point number two is what do we call, what do we call it? Conditioning. Conditioning matters. Conditioning matters. I think that there's a lot of strength athletes. Those of us that maybe started in the, in that realm who I think we said, like, well, lifting is what matters most. Like it's been crammed down our throat that like lifting is so good for women. And like, yes, it is. And your cardiovascular health matters too, especially if we are really considering that lifetime of athleticism, getting challenging your heart rate, doing things that are uncomfortable, improving your cardiovascular output is really important. That means going fast and being able to also go for distance. And again, all of this is relative fast for you, far for you. And as often as works for you, but it still should be part of what your training routine is or what it consists of. Again, a lot of people just put a huge emphasis on lifting only. And that is an incredible baseline. That is like, that is like your big rock for sure. But sprinkling should sprinkling 
Conditioning should be sprinkled in throughout your conditioning if you are looking to be a well-rounded athlete throughout your lifetime. Yeah. And, you know, cardio, conditioning, cardio, I always envision with that, getting on the elliptical for 60 minutes at the gym. Maybe some of you might like that. And to, to you, I say, go for it. I hate that. What does conditioning what are some other versions of conditioning? Can we talk about that? Because personally, I'm a big fan right now of sprint training. I'm doing like eight to 10 intervals of sprinting for 30 seconds and then walking or just standing there and trying to catch my breath for 30 seconds. That's one option. What else yeah. do you like for some conditioning? I will tell you what I've been doing and what I really have found to be a nice, happy medium for encouraging women to sprinkle in conditioning. <laughs> So I like one intense sprint workout a week. And so that can be, you know, that sprint for 30, walk for 30, sprint for a minute, walk for a minute, whatever. That could be like five rounds. That could be 10 rounds. Or you could do like the Tabata, like 20 seconds of work, 10 seconds of rest, doing that eight times through. There's a lot of different variations of sprinting and you can mix that up every week. But the point is you're working at a high threshold where you're really challenging, followed by rest recovery, and then hitting it hard again. So that's one thing I like to encourage is one intense conditioning session a week. And that doesn't just have to be running sprinting. That can be sprinting on a rower, sprinting on a bike, just anything like that. High intensity. Um, The second one I've really liked recently is running one mile for time once a week, because it's a long enough distance where it's a struggle, but it's a short enough distance where, you know, you can push it. You're like, okay, I know this is not dragging on for an hour. This isn't really probably dragging on for more than 20 minutes. Most people, I think when they're starting this range between that 10 to 15 minute mile when they're starting out, some may be faster, some may be slower. I'm just giving you a general range. So, you know, it is not this ongoing torture. It might feel like that initially, but it's a (laughs) extremely good test of mental resilience and maintaining really solid cardiac output over a fairly short amount of time. It's not, it's not a pace that you could sustain, but it's a pace that you can do and that you can sort of test as time goes on. And I said this the other day um, on social media, but it's not necessarily about getting faster every week because you won't again, like your energy, hormonally lifestyle things come up and even like where you run, like I ran at my sister's freaking farm on a dirt road. I was like, good God, this sucks. This is way different than running through suburbia. Um, so even environment can change your time. So again, it's not about getting better, a better time every week. It's about freaking doing it every week. And like, that is where you get the most bang for your buck. If you are trying to pursue that lifetime of athleticism. So that's that moderate distance, um, cardio, And then the last one I like to encourage is that like a long, slow distance training. So that could be, yeah, getting on the Peloton and doing like a 30 or 45 minute class where it's not like super hard, but it's longer than like what you would normally do for conditioning. Um, I personally like going out on a run on the weekends and it can be for me anywhere between like three to five miles. I think I would maybe max out at six. And I know that you're thinking like, good God, I don't want to do that. It's disgusting. Or runners are like, or like runners are like, hell no, like that's way too short a distance, right? So it's finding a longer distance for Mm. you. I'm telling you what mine is, but you like maybe for you, a longer distance is two and a half miles. And that's a lot of walking and running. And you're just, you're literally just getting in the distance, even if it's not like a consistent 
output. Like even if you're like, you know, only running for a little bit and then you're walking for a bit or you run the first mile and you walk like the second mile, that is fine. It's just, it's again, it's getting in that volume and um, preparing your body for going the distance. I think that's just a really good way to round out your versatility as an athlete. What about sleds? Can we bring them to sled in for some of the conditioning? I know that you and I both like to put on our headphones and run away from our kids with a sled behind us. Oh yeah. I mean, look, I think sleds are like, I, I, and once again, this is already on social media, but it's like my favorite. If I could do one exercise for the rest of my life, it would be, it would be the sled because we have well-rounded strength output there conditioning. Your heart rate definitely gets up. Um, it's, fairly easy to do. Like there's not a learning curve involved with learning how to push a sled. It can be a really great way to round out your athleticism. So yes, a good tool for conditioning. And again, all of these things can be applied. Like I used running as an example with all of this, but it can be applied to a variety of modalities of cardio work. So we just shared, you know, we like sprinting once a week. We like a mile once a week. We like a longer distance once a week. But if I'm listening to this and I'm not doing any conditioning, I'm strength only girl. I, I hate you right now. I hate us. And it's a little overwhelming. So like, what's the best bang for your buck? Pick one. Yeah. The one you can do. Pick one and own one and like truly own it. And then it's not going to suck as much. And that's when, you know, all right, I could probably add in another day. And what I do is I make it like, I make it part of what I'm already doing. It's not an additional workout necessarily. Like with my sprints, I do that on my Mondays after I hit like a lower body day. So then I do like lower body and then I like kill myself with the sprints and I love it. And then Tuesday, I do something else, whatever. Um, Wednesdays, I make that my one mile for time day. And I just know that like I'm, and I tack that on to after like I, I lift in the morning and then at the end of my workout, I know that it's not going to take me more than 10 minutes. So I'm going to go for my quick mile, like a run. And that's kind of like the finisher in terms of like CrossFit land. And then I'll make my longer run, like the only workout that I do that week or that for that particular day. So there's ways that you just have to kind of fit it into what you're already doing so that there's buy-in there. It's not like making you do an extra workout. It's just an add-on to what you're already doing. Yeah. I think that choosing the one that you can see yourself doing for four, six weeks in a row, Mm -hmm. the one that you have the least resistance to is like a really great, great place to start. And to contrast what you do, just to give people listening kind of another option. I personally right now, excuse me, have been doing more full body training. So Mondays I'll kill myself with that. And then Tuesdays I'll do my sprints. And that's the only thing that I do on Tuesdays besides some general mobility and walking and things of those nature. So there's a lot of options, but when you are adding it to the end of your workout, like we've done when we've done it together, you've made me do that, which wasn't fun. Like I like the, the ability to kind of pair those things together. So you don't have to work out necessarily six or seven days a week. Right. And again, just take ownership of what you can commit to and know that like your cardiovascular health matters. You want to be able to run after your kids. You want to be able to not feel like, you know, walking up those stairs is like kicking your butt every single time. Like you just want to feel good and in your body and, and just have healthy heart. Yep. It matters a lot. All right. Well, let's move on to point three or our third principle here, which was absorb force and create force. What does that mean? Yeah. Brianna. (laughs) 
Yeah. So high impact is really important for female athletes. And we also see a lot of female athletes struggle with that, whether it's orthopedically, like their knee hurts or their back hurts. And so it's really hard for them to do a box jump or running kills their back or it hurts this or hurts that, or maybe they're peeing their pants. And like, that's a whole other symptom to be considerate of. So we have to first acknowledge, like if you are having orthopedic or um, any kind of like pelvic health symptoms, that's going to impact my fan <laughs> words here. Um, that's going to influence how you feel doing a lot of high impact work. So there are a ton of different mechanical adjustments that can be made to your movement patterns that oftentimes do trigger that orthopedic pain um, or the or the incontinence or any kind of prolapse symptoms. So we can make some adjustments to your form. That's what I mean by mechanic adjustments. Can make a lot of adjustments to your form. One cue I really, really like that I think is applicable to all female athletes and frankly, to all athletes in general, there's two cues. So female athletes, like I want you to think about tits over toes for a lot of your running and high impact is when you're landing, your tits are over your toes and you're having that slight forward lean that creates a little bit more availability uh, for your glutes and pelvic floor to both be able to produce force and to absorb force. It's really, 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 really critical. Um, Miranda Granger, she's that UFC fighter I've been coaching. She started, she had always had back pain when she did box jumps. So she's like, I just don't do box jumps. And I was like, well, you're working with me now and we're going to see about that. I need to inquire. Uh, so I want to see you jump. And I was like, oh, of course you're having bo- like back pain when you do box jumps. Like she would like jump and then like land with her like butt way tucked under her. So mm-hmm. a cue that I used for her. And we also see this with um, people who pee when they do double unders or pee when they do box jump is like that landing in like a really squeeze tucked under um, butt position. So I want you to think about when you're doing any kind of plyometric work, whether it's a box jump or a jump squat or anything like that, uh, even like jumping lunges, if that's your thing, I don't know if that's anybody's thing, um, is to land with your ass behind you. And if not behind you, like think about landing with your butt under you. Like that is a really good cue because a lot of us tend to want to like squeeze that can be a protective thing that we just kind of naturally do because you're trying to not pee or you're trying to like protect. And so you just kind of like hold tension there. But when you're jumping, you want to land with your ass behind you so that it's absorbing that force and then can reactively create that force coming out of that position. Yeah. Did okay. I get a full nerd there? No, it's really good, especially if people are wondering how to introduce or bring impact in if they've struggled with some of these issues before, whether it's orthopedic or pelvic floor or whatever. But why do we need impact as women in general? Yeah, Um, joint health and really, again, being a versatile athlete so that you can hike and absorb force over rocks, over like weird surfaces so that you are just able to reduce your risk of injury if you fall, like you being able to have really healthy joints and training the connective tissue and tendons around your joints, we can do that through plyometric training. And plyometric training does not have to be complicated, doesn't have to be like a whole separate part of your program. I just like throwing it in, not in Metcons, just, yeah. just to be super freaking clear right now. I don't like putting plyos into your like metabolic conditioning. That's just a personal thing of mine. Um, I wouldn't program that for anybody, but what I like to do is I'll throw it in as almost like a skill work and um, something or like an accessory movement to another move, like exercise that I'm doing. Um, I'll just do some box jumps and keep it really low volume so that the integrity of the movement is upheld 
we're not like kind of introducing more risk than is needed. So low volume, that's like three to five reps over a few sets, four to five sets. And I think that's just a really great way to introduce it and stay consistent with it. Because again, we don't need to be adding a ton to our routine. Um, It's just introducing it enough and then continually doing it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important for us to remember when we're younger, when we're like, I personally feel that I've been really focused on pregnancy and postpartum and then healing from postpartum. And now as my youngest is three, I'm really starting to look forward a lot and thinking about perimenopause and menopause and just aging in general. And that joint health that you've mentioned, bone health, uh, those things matters, matter a lot. Yeah. And so training to prepare our body for those seasons of life is something that we need to have our eyes on. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Being able, yeah, bone density is a huge part of that. We can improve bone density. Most of us tend to like women tend to lose wow. our bone density as we age and lifting and being able to produce force and absorb force in our training with plyos. And like, again, it doesn't have to be complicated plyos. I'm not, you don't have to be training like an NFL player but just really being able to introduce a lot of that force absorption and then force creation really key. And it's yeah, kind of translate over into a variety mm-hmm. of athletic endeavors that you do improved balance, improved coordination, all of that good stuff. So important. So we kind of mentioned this one quite a few times already, but let's get into it a little bit more being a versatile athlete by doing a variety of things. This is kind of our fourth principle here. So what do you mean by that? Being a versatile athlete by doing a variety of things. I think so many of us have attached identity to a certain sport or a certain training um, methodology. I do CrossFit. I am a CrossFitter. I am a powerlifter. I am a triathlete. I do yoga. And we attach identity and ability and who we are as an athlete or fitness interest to a certain modality of exercise, which is fine. and we need to do more than just those things. Those things should complement who we are outside of those environments. And I think that you can be a CrossFitter, but it doesn't matter unless you are pursuing a really active quality of life outside of the gym. Like your, your ability in the gym should improve your quality of life outside of the gym. And that should be tested. That should be played with. That should be enjoyed. And I feel like people are so zoomed in on what they're doing in the gym, that they're unwilling to do other things outside of the gym. And we can say the same thing about like our triathletes, like they're so zoomed in on like getting in their bike rides and they're running and they're swimming that they're not introducing other things that are actually going to help make them a better athlete. We know with kids and this never stops like with kids, it's great to expose them to as many things as possible, as much as possible when they are kids. And that will help round out their athleticism. We're not trying to have our kids specialize until they're a little bit older and they actually know what sport is worth specializing. I use air quotes here, specializing in, and that like, doesn't stop. You will still become a better athlete and reap all the benefits of versatility as an athlete. When you can introduce a variety of ways to move and express your athleticism. One thing that I found in my mid thirties was jujitsu after like, I had never done any kind of combat sport. And it's making me a better athlete and it's making me a better mental athlete, a better, um, and better in my overall movement patterns. It's exposing a lot of things. I'm like, Oh, I've kind of overlooked that, um, just different areas because it's really easy to stay zoomed in on what we want to do or like our default mode of training. 
And it's really great to try new things and to expose some of our weaknesses, develop new strengths, and then utilize it in our like real life. Like go out and go stand up paddleboarding, go snowboarding, go skiing, go hiking, go enjoy the benefits of pursuing this lifetime of athleticism. It doesn't like if it's only in the gym, we're missing out on so much other like enjoyment and potential. Yeah. And, and it's a like fun play and fun should be a big part of this. And it's okay to not be good at it. Now I say that, like, I need to hear that too, because I hate (laughs) being good at things, but I mean, that is like, just we're teaching our brains new things as well. And we're trying to figure out how a a sport or a movement pattern works. Like our brain is working so hard and we don't get enough of that. Right. And that's called like neuroplasticity is like our ability to kind of create new neural pathways and be exposed to different ways of thinking and making these connections, moving our body in new, new ways. And it translates over into every single aspect of our life. And that can be really, really powerful and a great way to, again, become a better athlete and just improve our overall output, what we do and how we do it. Awesome. So thing number five is these boring basics. And they matter so much. We And we have a tendency, I think, to get really locked in on reps and sets and things like that. But mm-hmm. hey, sleep and movement, these things matter too. So let's chat a little bit about that. Because I feel like sleep is one of the most underrated things that all of us could probably be doing better and it will improve our health so much. Yeah. And now I'm living somewhere where like the sun doesn't go down like totally until like 9 30, 10 o'clock at night. It's insane. I'm not used to this. So that really can impact sleep. Um, I think if we can on average, I know it's such a joke for all of the new moms listening here in the trenches of like waking up every couple hours all the time. Like, I know this sounds like it's like the most annoying piece of advice because you know that sleep matters. So I just want to acknowledge that like there are seasons where your sleep is going to totally suck. And I'm sorry if you were in that season, you are right. I, we we've lived that a few years now. It's so hard. It is so hard. And every time I see uh, an Instagram post or, you know, an expert talking about how important sleep is, I can remember what it felt like when life was just one long nap. You know, I felt like all I ever did was I would get naps, but I would never get long like sets of sleep. And that yeah, is like, I would like dread like bedtime. Cause I was like, yes. this is freaking bedtime. This is just like, hurry up and wait for the baby to wake up. So then like, you just know you're not even going to sleep. You're going, like you said, like you're going to kind of nap maybe just to wake up again and not ever fully sleep. So anyway, I just want to acknowledge that so that y'all aren't like, we quit. We're done. Yeah. You. <laughs> we will sleep again. We promise. But we have five children between the two of us and they all sleep eventually, I think. Yeah, mostly. Um, there still might be a human that ends up in your bed sometimes, but, um, yeah. So with sleep, like start with what's reasonable for you. If you can improve it by getting one extra hour, that's great. You know, you don't like someone might say, you might see somebody annoying on social media is like, I get nine hours of sleep and I'm like, good for you. That is not practical for a lot of people, especially people who have kids. So could you get seven hours a night? If you're usually just getting six, could you improve it to seven hours? Could you improve it to eight hours? Could you do that a couple days a week? Maybe not every day, but just overall, like kind of gradually improving the quality of your sleep and then the frequency of that quality. Yeah. And I know for me too, one of the things that I've been doing is getting some non-sleep deep rest as Andrew Huberman likes to, I think he's the one who invented this concept of non-sleep deep rest, but I will put on one of those 
song or it's not a song, but it's like a meditation or something on YouTube. I don't know. You can just search it and I'll sit down and I'll close my eyes for 10 minutes and just listen to that. And it really does wonders for like resetting your brain and bringing more energy to, to your life. And I think that having, if you're not getting that sleep at night, that's something that you could try during the day that might help those energy levels. Yeah, absolutely. I have not done that yet. I have a very hard time, uh, <laughs> not running high all the time, but no, I don't all, have a hard time sleeping at this point in my life. So like yes. we all have to just kind of take an assessment of where we're at and what we need and find what is specific to you. And I think that's like really kind of the point of this is kind of giving these big overarching guidelines and then figuring out like, well, what do I specifically need to do to fit some of these concepts into my life? Yeah. And so sleep is one of these boring basics that we talked about, but there's also movement and we've got movement, we've got hydration and we've got managing your stress. So movement, how much do we be moving? Well, so like we, how many times have we been told like, we'll walk 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. Ever since I started like fully working from home, I'm like, yo, that's kind of hard. Like that's like really hard for me to walk 10,000 steps a day. Like my, just my overall activity level has decreased. I don't know, like with COVID or whatever, just everything. Like it's just that activity level decreased as much as I think that I'm busy. It's almost like a different, I'm like more fidgety busy than I am like walking around everywhere. So if you are not able to hit 10,000 steps a day, that is okay. If you were averaging like 3000 or 5,000, can you start to consistently get a thousand more than that over time? And then slowly like kind of take a baseline of, or like an assessment of what your baseline is now. Like, okay, I'm kind of averaging this and you can have anything from a pedometer to any of these watches. Like we'll give you that kind of data. You can incorporate a walk where you just go out. Like Heather knows, like she gets my best ideas by like making me go out on a walk. And then that's how I'm able to process and get things out of me is I have to move. So I'll do meetings on, on a walk or go on a treadmill and just getting in some basic movement, being a little bit more intentional with that. I know that if I'm not, I'm not having an active day, I don't have a ton of errands. I don't have a lot going on, you know, as much activity with the kids, then I'm going to just go out on a walk and try to get in some steps so that I'm moving my body and not just at my desk working or mom lifing. Yeah. And movement, you know, walking is a great way to get movement, but if you're feel like you're confined to your desk or your home office or whatever, even just like getting up for five minutes and moving around your office, yeah. maybe it's some lateral lunges or just like moving laterally, or you're doing a few air squats, you're yeah. rotating, maybe throwing on a yoga video from YouTube that you find uh, right. any of those things, those count as movement as well. Yep. And just taking the, the time and space for that. Yeah, absolutely. Just doing like little flows where it doesn't even have to be like a set routine or sequence. It's just kind of moving in a way that feels good for you at that point in time. Yeah, for sure. And then we have stress. That's a big one because, you know, you can be doing everything else, right? But life is stressful. And sometimes yeah. there's seasons where it's worse than others. And I think there's not a lot that you can, you're never going to have no stress. That's not what we're looking no. for, Right. But what are, when you get stressed, what are some of your strategies to try to bring that down besides sit under a blanket? Yeah. You see, this is where like, I'm like, I am not, I'm not somebody to give advice on this. Cause I'm, I really, you know, like when your doctor's like, so like, how stressed are you? Are you under a lot of stress? And I'm like, 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 of course I am. Like, how do people live without stress? Like, I just like, don't get that. Like, I, 
I run so high that there's almost just like my homeostasis is stress. So again, I'm probably not the right person to be giving insight on, but what we can do is acknowledge that when we are extra heightened, extra heightened, extra anxious, or maybe like really struggling with our mental health, that is going to influence how we show up in the gym. And I think just acknowledging that so then you can better manage expectations and implement some things that will help you. Um, that makes a big difference because then it almost gives you that sense of like, well, I can take back control in some of these ways. And ultimately those things that we do, which I'll, I'll share with some of the things that I do will help improve how I feel overall. So I like to just go retreat and withdraw from everyone. It's not the best strategy, but knowing that um, I have to be really intentional about like, okay, I, I need to call somebody. I need to like talk to a friend. I need to talk to my therapist. I need, this is something I need to like, I need to process this shit and get it out of my head. I also do a lot of writing. I do a lot of walking when I'm in that state and then just decompression. Like I try to like, I go and I sit under my blanket and try to decompress and just like be because I do not slow down. And I know that when I'm like called to the couch, like I have to listen to that if, uh, because I don't, I do not go near the couch until I'm like, you know, end of the day. But if I'm feeling that, I have to learn to listen to that instead of ignoring that. And that's what, that's what works for my personality. But again, I run really, really high. So if you are already stuck on the couch right now in your shit, that means that you're probably a person who should get up and move your body and go out. And again, this doesn't have to be working out. This is, I have been stuck on the couch before with my mental health for long periods of time. Heather can attest to this. So, um, and it's, it's remembering that you do need to do a little bit of movement and take some proactive efforts in, in whatever ways you can um, towards re-regulating your stress. Yeah, for sure. I think it, you're right. Like it looks different on every person. For yeah. me, it's a little different in that I have to do certain things every day. Like if I don't create a certain amount of space every day, it starts to build. And, you know, maybe one day is fine, but I get a few of those days in a row. Like I start to get a little crazy and then I like shut down as you have witnessed in the past before, which is never a great feeling. So for me, a couple of things that I did work really well for me are, I like to journal. I just put my pen on the paper. I'm like Michael Scott when he's like, I open my mouth and I don't know what's going to come out. Yeah. It's like that um, in my journal. I would, I once in a while, we'll go back and look at them, but it's yeah. just like a whiny suburban mom and I get it all out, you know, um, but getting, getting my thoughts out on paper is a big one. Building in some buffer time for me is also a big one. Working from home can be really hard because I can literally turn off my computer and then walk upstairs and go immediately into mom life. And mm -hmm. that's so lovely. But then, so, you know, mo most people, if they work in an office, they have that car ride to kind of decompress. And I discovered through therapy that this is something I don't have and I need to create. So yeah. I have like a book in my chair in my office and I try to give myself like 20, 30 minutes to sit and read or just like breathe or whatever. Um, so have, building in some of that buffer time is a big one. And then for me, like breath counting or some kind of some version of breath work right now, I'm really liking the one that my five-year-old taught me, which was the buddy breath where you take two big inhales and then one like a sigh out. And, you know, I do three or four of those and it will go quite the distance and helping yeah. me out. So finding, you know, that's what works for you. This is what works for me. Like you got to find what works for you. And sometimes right. to your point, when you're stuck on the couch and you need to get up, 
that can be really hard to actually do it. You might have to like physically drag yourself out there, but set kind of a plan of you're going to move for seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And at the end of seven minutes, if you don't want to do it anymore, fine. But chances are, if you get going for seven minutes, you're going to, you're going to follow through. Yeah. In my like deepest, darkest depression, it was like, I'm going to walk to the end of the street and back. That's about as much as movement as I'm going to get. Cause I know I need to move my body. My body feels like shit. My brain feels like even more shit, but I know this will help. And so again, we get there, we have been there and and this looks different for every single person, but just acknowledge that during different seasons, your stress and your mental health will absolutely impact how you operate in the gym and your overall health and fitness. Yeah. Those are most of the basics. There are any other basics you want to make sure we cover? I think we, I think we hit all of it. I mean, the biggest thing is again, um, that lifetime of athleticism and not comparing yourself to who you were 10 years ago or five years ago or two years ago, but who you are right now and what you want to work towards um, in the body that you're in with the new circumstances that are going to keep coming into your life. You are an adaptable athlete. You are, you're an adaptable human and you can use exercise and consistent exercise as a way, as a great tool to improve your quality of life because your athleticism what that looks like will change. And that's the whole point. If we're lucky, be nice to yourself, you know, like throughout all of this, I think that's such an important thing. And you're like laughing because yeah. you know, I'm going the feelings route, but know, it is so, it's so important because you can beat yourself up for not, you know, oh, I said I was going to work out four times this week and I only worked out three times. Like be right. nice to yourself. Yeah. And like good enough can be good enough because the point is show up next week. Or show yep. up tomorrow. Like, okay, you can either sit in the like, oh, I messed up. Like, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay in like the victim feelings because you can take your power back one small, 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 tiny choice at a time. Yeah. And we would rather see you doing a good enough workout than like cry and doing a good enough workout, doing it consistently. Yeah. You go out and you crush it. You go hard for two hours and then you do nothing for two weeks. Totally. That's- not going to serve you. Totally. Other uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast. If you guys resonate with what we've been saying, I don't know, you want to come hang out with us. We would love to have you join the practice Brave fitness program. Again, it is structured strength and conditioning. We take out all of the guesswork for you so that you are able to have a really trustworthy program to help you rebuild and keep building upon what you've accomplished in your fitness um, and be a really well-rounded, versatile athlete through your lifetime. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. 
from there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you and please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work.